uh, friends, just before before we get into this, I don't know if people expect me to uh, to speak on what happened this week. Um, sometimes there's there's all sorts of different expectations, and and I to be honest, I'm not sure I have anything new or or different to say. Uh, my heart's weary, and I'm saddened by so many things, um, including lives caught in the balance of violence, and including the disturbing state of Christianity in America right now. Um, but honestly, my job is not to make big statements. My job is to keep us committed to Jesus, uh, who Jesus is, and what it looks like to faithfully trust and follow his character. So we will continue to do that week after week, do the, slow, the long, slow task um, of loving God and learning love for our neighbors. And we are committed to that, no matter what. So what I want to talk about this week is rocks and rivers and about God making a way over and over again. And I trust that it'll be quite relevant to what each of us is going through right now um, and the importance of learning to remember. And interestingly, I have been wanting to talk about this for over two years on this specific Sunday. Um, so I want to tell you a story, and it's from the book of Joshua. All right. And uh, in the book of Joshua, the, the whole story of Joshua is exactly like the title sounds. It's kind of the story of God's people being led by a man named Joshua after Moses had died. All right. And so, so um, before this, in Deuteronomy, it's kind of the story of Moses's continuation after Exodus. Um, and, and Moses leads God's people for, for decades. And, uh, and he leads them uh, through the desert and toward this promised land that they were one day going to be given. Uh, this, this promised land that God said, hey, I'm going to lead you to be able to establish a people here. And, uh, and it's a, a big story of all sorts of things. It's, uh, there's battles, there's, there's all sorts of moments. But obviously, one of the most crucial moments in the story of, of Moses is that God, through Moses, leads his people out of slavery by getting across the Red Sea. The, the sea parts, right? You all know this story. And so, so there have been moments of miraculous, um, undeniable glimpses of the presence of God, and the people have connected it with Moses. Moses is God's spokesperson. We finally trust him, even though we grumbled about him for a long time. And, and, and so Moses now, at this point in the story, Moses has died. And there's a question of what exactly is next? And Joshua emerges, and Moses and Joshua, or Moses and, and Yahweh and God both anoint Joshua as the one who would lead the people, okay? And, but there's a big question among the whole people of who to trust and what to do about all of this. And so, so in the book of Joshua, they're getting very, very close to this, this promised land, this land of, of their inheritance, okay? And there's one thing that stands between them and that land, and it's a, a river, Okay, and it's, it's the Jordan River, the, the river that Jesus would later be baptized in, right? Really historic river. It kind of separates the land of Israel from, from everything that was, that was west. And so anyways, God's people come to this moment, and, and they're still learning who to trust and, and what's going on. They're in the middle of this kind of sometimes very hopeful, sometimes very discouraging reality, okay? And I'm, I'm really going somewhere with this. But, but so, so what we're told in Joshua 3 is that, um, that, uh, that God says to Joshua, hey, I want to do something that will be a reminder that I am with you and that I am with your people, okay, or that I am with my people, all right? And they get 
to the river and he says, I want you to do something. I want you to get ready with the, the people who carry the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. And this was this was um, this this Ark that was created that was uh, said at this point to hold the presence of God. All right. It was holy. It was untouchable. It was. Yeah, it was for another sermon. But so so what happens is he asks the priests to carry this Ark and to go one day to the foot of the Jordan River. All right. And, and he said, I'm going to do something really amazing. I want the priests to lead the way. And when they set foot in the river, the river's going to stop flowing and it's going to back up. And I want the people carrying the ark, the priests, to go into the middle of the river and to stay put. And everybody else is going to follow behind. All right. So, so this is what it says in Joshua 3 in, in verse 14. So the people broke camp to cross the Jordan. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. That's important. The Jordan River would have been um, on, on a plain. So when we think about the Jordan River, there's probably spots on the Rio Grande down on the border of Texas that would be similar, meaning that it's so shallow, the, the Jordan would only get to about four feet deep on a normal, normal season. And so it would be meters across, you know, maybe 50 meters, 100 meters across, maybe less, much less at some points, actually. But when you get all the way to flood stage during the rainy season, meters become miles. And so you get to this place where four feet deep becomes 12 feet deep for two miles long. And so literally, we are talking about an impassable moment. All right. A block, a blockage for people's travel. So here's what happened. They make, make note that it was at flood stage, right? Um, yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. All right, so that's your story. It's this incredible story and, and God's people and what, the way they did it was that the priests stood there in the middle and everybody had to remain a half mile behind them as they went out, which means maybe it was a mile wide and so they waited till the priests got situated right in the middle of this dry land and all of the people go to the other side and they kind of rush and hurry. We're, we're told that they make haste to get to the other side, all right? Um, and so, so when they get to the other side, and, and Joshua has already been told to do this, but Joshua has picked out 12 men that represent each of the tribes of Israel, okay? Israel was divided into 12 groups of people um, on the, based on the descendants of Israel, of Jacob. And so, so what ends up happening is they rush all the way across, and Joshua finds 12, 12 men, and he says, I want you to go back. The river's still standing. I want you to go back in the middle of the river and I want you to find rocks that you can put on your shoulder, one per, one per person, and I want you to go back and I want you to get them and I want you to bring them to the shoreline. So they go out and I don't know how big these things were, but a person had to carry them. And so, so imagine something probably bigger than this and they were supposed to put them on their shoulders, okay? And they were supposed to carry them all the way for at least a half mile because it's going to be in the middle of the river at least a half mile, probably longer, on their shoulder, all the way to shore. And I'm sure that these guys are wondering, what exactly is going on with all of this? But in the midst of it, what they are told is that they're going to keep these rocks at the place that they camp as a memorial, as a way to remember God's faithfulness. And so what happens 
is um, really interesting. The ark comes into the middle of the river, leads the way. God's presence leads the way. The people cross through. The ark stays put. God comes in, hemming, hemming them behind and, be and before, right? That's what, how the language that the psalmist uses. And they finally get to the other side. The men have been sent back to get the rocks. They get to the other side and the waters rush back again. All right. And, uh, and so, so what happens? Here's, here's what happens in Joshua 4, verse 19. On the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and they camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them this, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. I want you to notice a couple things about this. In the midst of this story, God's people are in a transition. And now that Moses was dead, they weren't sure about what was ahead. Even with the promised land within their grasp, the story was so far from over, it would actually continue on for thousands of years before the ultimate promise of God would come to redeem them, would lead them to a true promised land in Christ. But, but in, in the midst of this, their story was not over, and God knew that they needed to have markers that when they noticed them would help them keep the faith. And God says, just like Moses with the Red Sea, the story, friends, isn't going to change. I'm powerful. I'm with you. Continue to trust me. And so what they do is they build this, this memorial. They take these stones and they put them in a position where people can come and for years they can see that spot and they can remember that God was with them. And the, the memorial was to remind them and the future generations of how good God was. That uh, There was a physical reminder that God had made a way, that God had provided. The stones became the storytellers of hope. And they each told a story, not just of a moment, but of a people, of a place, of a whole history that was behind it. Uh, now, just imagine 200 years later on a farm. Now, we, when we think about memorials now, they're huge and they're well-kept and everything. But, but the generations would pass, the land would change hands. And so imagine a farmer one day uh, with his son and they're getting ready for the spring planting and they're cleaning up after the winter. And the farmer tells his son, go ahead out to that corner of the field. I'll start on this corner of the field. And we just need to clear all of the debris that is gathered up over the winter from all the storms because it's time to prepare for planting. And so they start to work and the son, the son starts to toss away um, sticks and he finds some, some trees and eventually he... he finds this thing that just looks like an old dilapidated wall. And he wonders how it got there, but he knows what his job is. And so he begins to pick up the stones and carry them away. And it takes about all of his might. And his father sees him across the field. And he says, no, 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 stop, stop, not those. Don't touch those. And the son says, why? What's it to you? Literally, that's what in the Bible, that's what, uh, that's what it says. It says, when, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? The, the language is literally, what is it to you? So the son says, what, what is this to you? And he says, this, this is the story of the God who was, the God who is, and the God who will be. 
and we are right there. That's the stone of our story. These stay put. So here we are. Here we are gathering for worship in our own unique way. And it is the 10th day of the first month of the year. And we are not camped out at Gilgal, but we are camped out in front of our devices, committed still to being the church. I wonder if we need to pick up and set some stones as well. See, the interesting thing is that when, when Joshua sent these men back, it says, like I mentioned, that they rushed across the dry, bre- the dry uh, bed. Interesting here, different from the Red Sea. No one's chasing them at this moment. No one's chasing them, but they are still hustling to get across the riverbed. They're maybe seeing the water built up on the one side and it dried up on the other. But for whatever reason, they're in the midst of, of a miracle. God is doing something significant, but they are rushing to get to the other side. They finally get to the other side, probably, whew. And then Joshua says, I need you to go back. And I need you to do a longer, heavier process because this moment needs to be marked. It was important and it would be important for years ahead. So despite the fact that they had been in a rush, they stopped and they listened to God to mark the moments. We need memories of God's provision. This Zoom meeting right now, right now, this exact moment that we're in, it's a stone. It's a glimpse into the history of our church. It's a glimpse into God sustaining us during a horribly painful and detached season for many, continuing to hold back the waters of the Jordan so that we can cross over to a time and a season where there's plenty on the other side. And I, I, I get, oh my goodness, do I get it. There's a sense of, that we're trying to sprint through it to just get done. And me too. I want to get on the other side. I, I want to so badly, friends. Um, don't think for a second that I do not long for us to physically embody what it means to be a community in Christ in the fullness of how we do it as Life Path Church. But maybe, maybe we need to hear God saying on the 10th day of the first month, slow down, go back, grab some stones, don't erase this history. Let it be a reminder for the future, for all of it, that God is faithful, that God is still providing. And don't stop being God's faithfulness to others. Tell the important stories. Make the important stories, right? You'll need them now, and you'll need them again one day. Do you know that five families or individuals have actually become a part of Life Path Church since the pandemic started, since we were not able to meet physically? Five families, five individuals. It's incredible. Do you know that all of our financial needs have been met throughout this year? And we've been able to give away thousands of dollars to those in need. God's provision. We're painfully learning ways to be Christ to one another in new ways because we have to. We're personally claiming our discipleship in new ways that hasn't happened across the board at LifePath before because people are forced to take ownership for their faith in a new way. 
because the structure of our church is so limited right now. We're learning about issues of justice and compassion. God has been working and you are participating in it. You are part of a living reminder. You are one of the reminder stones, a living, a living stone. And maybe, maybe that's why Peter speaks of Jesus as a living stone later in the scriptures. And, and when he speaks of disciples of Jesus, uh, he speaks of them as living stones. Stones that again meant something, but fast forward into generations in the future, because at the time of the temple, many generations after Joshua, living in Israel, living in Jerusalem, when the people of Israel had settled into that next phase of their story and they had built a temple, stones, they, they began to have meaning in a new way. So, so stones, where's my marker? There it is. So stones were used... Stones were used to remember. But they were also used to build. Okay? They were used to build beautiful structures that, that drew the eye and that inspired the heart. Temples with magnificent stones, but like it says in Mark 13, stones that had no life inside. And so it's from those images that Peter gives us a final picture in the New Testament of stones. And he says in 1 Peter 2, 4-6, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to talk about Christ. And he says, for in the scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I lay a stone, Jesus, as the foundation, as a stone to remember. Cornerstones are meant to be remembered. They have dates and they have experiences marked on them. And so we remember that we are founded, these stones, Jesus, as the, as the cornerstone, becomes a stone of remembrance, but also a stone to build off of, and we become stones too. If we are living stones... And if stones are intended to help remind us of things, the question is, what will we be holy reminders of to each other? What's the story of God's faithfulness that you will represent to one another? Because we're slowly losing our ability to tell stories well in this world. We pronounce lots of big statements, but we have to learn how to tell stories to keep our hearts alive. What do you need to remind each other of? What provision of God, what rescue, what people, what time, what place, what story needs to not be forgotten right now during the mundane moments? What stories need to not be forgotten during the hard moments? We need each other to tell stories and we need to hold on to our stories in such a way that reveals God's redemption. It's there. The stories are there and so is God's faithfulness. And sometimes we just don't pause long enough to turn and go back and pick up stones so that we can mark the moments that God has been there over and over again. So, as a living stone, is your life a constant reminder to yourself and to others about God's faithfulness? And what about building? What about building? Is, is your life right now being used to build up the body of Christ and make it something beautiful? 
That's what Peter says our role is. Are you using what you've been given to build up and not simply tear down, right? To speak life and not simply acknowledge all of the death. <laughs> to be more about what you're for than what you're against. Do you understand your role in working together with other disciples to reveal God's redemptive kingdom? To truly do good. You are strong and you are loving and you are designed to be firmly planted on Jesus and built up and connected with others into something wonderful that changes the world for the better forever. The church is a gift if we receive it faithfully. The church is a gift if we do it faithfully. So I encourage you to be built up with us. Now, um, before we, before we uh, end this little reflection, I want, to, uh, I want to give a final warning from this image. Because stones, uh, stones can lose their way. Um, stones, stones can be used not just as tools to remember and to build, but stones can be used as tools of destruction. Stones can, um, they can be used for violence. And so can we, as living stones, our very selves can be hurled at one another in righteous judgment, with violence in our hands or with violence deeper in our hearts, cleverly disguised. And the thing about using rocks as righteous judgment is that we are always sure that we're justified in our hatred and in our rage. But I'm asking you, can we please together today and tomorrow and the next day, give Jesus the stones in us that we want to hurl. Can we drop them like Jesus asked those men surrounding the adulterous woman in the book of John when he said, whoever's without sin cast the first stone. And they walked away and they dropped their stones and they were changed. Can we be people who drop our stones of violence and rage at the feet of Jesus, acknowledging our own sin and being willing and ready to truly have compassion on a world that needs compassion right now. There are times to be upset. I was this week very much. But I want God to take away the stones in me that want to destroy so that I can be built up for something better. So uh, I remind us and encourage us today to be living stones that are holy reminders of God's faithfulness, but that are also building blocks into something stronger and beautiful with Christ. This isn't a task list, by the way. It's, it's a surrender. Becoming a living stone is, is something that Jesus does to us when we cast ourselves on him. It's about confessing our need, confessing our weakness, confessing our reliance, and saying, I am fully available, Jesus, for your shaping and your sending, completely and fully available. You and you first and you only. Not a politician, not an ideology, not a job, not a cause, not a country. You, Jesus. I am fully available. I am all in. I want to learn you. I want to be a living stone, so search my heart and reveal your love so that I can love with the same purity that you love me.
God has such love for you, for me. But I'm distracted so often. I'm tired. And sometimes I'm just hard-hearted. And the last thing I want to hear about is grace and transformation from me. What I want is for others to be transformed. (laughs) Right? Like, you change. That's what needs to happen in the world. But I can't control them at the end of the day. And neither can you. But you, you are the building blocks of God's house. Let that be the work that you do. It will impact the world around you, I promise. So we need reminder stones in our lives. We need to collect moments that help us see God's faithfulness. And we need to become living stones, reminders in each other's lives of God's goodness over and over again. Can we, can we pray? And then we'll uh, break out into groups for five minutes for you maybe to, uh, to be living stones to one another um, in some small way to offer a word of God's faithfulness or encouragement. Jesus, sometimes it's, uh, it's difficult to, to read stories like the one in Joshua where we have to hear of these great, wonderful, miraculous moments and we say, well, we'd love some, some waters to part, Lord. Uh, it seems easier to have faith, easier to just trust you and follow you when we can see it that actively. And yet we can't deny that over the years, over the generations, over the course of history, we have seen so clearly your faithfulness. I pray that you would inspire us to trust you in those ways um, so that our lives would be these living reminders for each other so that we would hold on to the things that help us keep the faith, seeing where you are at work and where you've been at work so that we know that you will be at work. We ask these things together that you shape us and you send us. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.